the cure for anxiety <clears throat> from Matthew uh, 6 verses 25 to the end. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worthy more than they? Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he much, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a, it's a real pleasure to come and share with you. Uh, I want to start by saying uh, a number of weeks ago at my home church, I stood up and in a sense, you know, sometimes you feel you've got to sort of just talk a little bit straight to the congregation. I don't like being stood up here, so I'm going to come down here if that's all right. And I was saying, let's stop moaning. And what I meant by that was, let's just think about this morning. You've got a worship band. Yeah, they weren't in the right key for the first song. But, well, they were in the right key, you was, but everyone else was looking at you. But you've got a worship band. Yesterday, I was at an event, and I'm a bit of a mystic. I get funny emotions, and I saw an opened Bible, and I felt very emotional at the fact that we do live in a country where we can have these things. And this morning, we're able to meet freely. We've all got our tuts, moans and groans, I get that, because we all live life. We are citizens of heaven, but somehow we've been told to stay down here and be citizens here as well. And that's tough. But we live in a country of freedom, and yet often... We use that privilege to moan instead of rejoice. When I don't know about you, but this morning, some of those worship songs, that sometimes I feel like my heart wants to leap outside of my body and, and, you know, and I think, 
God, you are good. God is really, really, really good. When, when my brother here prayed, and I think his spirit kind of leapt out of his body. But I thought about this. When you meet Jesus, when you really see Jesus for who he really is, his grace, his mercy, his love, you can't go back. You will have your struggles But there is something inside of you that is compelled by this irresistible grace that is found in Jesus Christ. The thing is, as we were singing, we can't stand. It's Jesus in us that enables us to stand. It's his grace and his mercy that has got us to this point today. If I told you my testimony, I was an absolute mess. And Jesus came and revealed himself to me. I was the lost sheep. And I wasn't even looking for any kind of peace with God. And yet he came and found me. Let's just close our eyes and pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we want to... Be completely open to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. God, we long to be changed. Jesus, we long for a fresh vision of who you really are for us and in us. Lord, I pray for this church, God, this morning. Move by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we sung a song, it said, you've broken chains. You've broken chains that bound me. You set this captive free. Lord, I pray this morning for those who feel bound inside that, O oh God, they would leave rejoicing, saying, you have set this captive free. Let us go out into this world as free people, not using our liberty as an excuse to sin, but as an opportunity to bless and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. Lord, for those today who are sat here, longing to sing again the songs of the Lord, but feeling in a strange and foreign land, Lord, would you liberate them to once again sing songs of salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to turn this morning, uh, what version is the CBS version, by the way? Um, CSB. CSB. It's Holman, sorry. Right. It's, it's standard Bible. It was Holman, oh. it was years ago, and then they just called it the CSB. It just sounded like an American news channel, I wondered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so we've heard the, the teachings of Jesus this morning. Now, there's a, a, a definite reason why I've picked this, this uh, scripture. We're all really familiar with it, aren't we? It's those, love, those wonderful words of life that Jesus speaks about. And he's talking about don't worry. Don't fret, don't be anxious. And he's, he's talking primarily here. He's, he's probably sat down with the 12, but with a lot of people listening over into this conversation. And he's, he's giving his teaching. Now, for Matthew's gospel, Jesus is like the new Moses. So the Sermon on the Mount, this, this, this little passage comes from, from, from that place in Matthew's gospel. This is where Jesus is, is on a mountain, pretty similar to Moses, and he's publishing, um, I wouldn't say a new law, but, but a law that completes the old, that finishes, that, that in a sense supersedes what has gone before. And so he's teaching, some people call this the law of Christ, things like love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, starts off with all these blessings and things like this and then he comes to this point and he starts to talk about don't worry now what I want to focus on today is that little verse almost right at the end of all the worries that Jesus lists and he says but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Now, it was three weeks ago, and I live in a community house. Some people will know it if you've had associations with Haywood Baptist Church, St. Anne's House, and I've been put all the way up into the loft area. It's probably because I'm a heretic, I don't know, but I've been banished there. And sometimes I feel like I need to ring a big bell for attention just to let people know I do. I am still alive up here. But I was up there three weeks ago and it was a Saturday night and I had a time of prayer, really a, a strong prayer for the church. I was crying out to God to revive his people again. There's a brilliant psalm, isn't there, where David has this refrain, I think, where he says, oh, that you would revive us again, that your people might rejoice in you. And I was in my bedroom and I, I was almost crying out, oh God, revive your church again. That's a prayer I think everybody in this room would want to say amen to. Revive your church again, Lord. And in the middle of my prayer, I just got this, this thought out of nowhere. It was the Holy Spirit speaking. It just said, seek first the kingdom of God. I went to church the next morning. And at the end of the service, something happened that almost poured fuel on this, I could say this like prophetic fire that was supposed to be people that seek the kingdom first. Now I work with asylum seekers and refugees and one of the families stood up to share 
And they stood up to share that they were, they were moving and they were moving to a different place, uh, primarily London because everybody thinks the streets are paved with gold. Nobody looks at each other because they're too busy looking at the streets paved with gold. But people think that. But something inside of my spirit, inside of my heart, if you will, didn't feel comfortable. And my question was, although I didn't ask this, because everybody has the way, everybody has the right to choose. People have the right to refuse the way of Jesus just just as much as they have the right to accept it. And you can make choices with your life. You could do whatever you want with your life, to be honest. But you do have a, you do have something that you can make a choice based on, which is the values of God's kingdom. But I wanted to say, what are you doing? This family, they can't speak any English. So it doesn't make sense for them to just disappear and go off somewhere else. But something just didn't feel right. I thought, I wouldn't be bothered if we knew that that was your intention, but this has come out of nowhere. So afterwards, I was thinking, what has, what has motivated them to take that course of action? And I had a chat with a few of the other guys that I've worked with. And they said, well, you see, they said, in our country, everybody will expect you to go to London if you come to, if you come to England. And in fact, when you talk to your family, that's all they'll ever say to you is about going to London. That's it. And if you don't go to London, you'll let your family down. So you're almost manipulated to go to London. And something inside of me just almost got fire thinking, where's the kingdom of God in all of that? Where is the kingdom of God when you're being controlled by everything else but Jesus Christ? Worrying about what people will say. Who cares? What's the greatest thing to worry about? That you're doing God's will or you're making other people happy? And so I was in a bit of a, I was a bit concerned because perhaps this family will go and as far as I'm concerned, because I know from history, they won't have the success that they believe they're going to get in London. Because London isn't the kingdom of God, is it? It's a part of the UK. And that's about it. Whoopee-doo, it's a capital country. And this led me to look a bit more. Now, the day after this, I ended up in a barber shop talking to one of our Kurdish converts and was really pleading with him. But Kurdish people have a different mentality about putting Jesus Christ first in your life. And I was almost sat in the little waiting area and he was looking at me and I was looking at him and I was saying, just put the kingdom of God first in your life. Nothing else compares, nothing else matters, but that you live for this thing called 
the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells us, doesn't he, about not worrying. And he lists a number of things. He talks about the clothing you wear, what you will eat, the, the, the very things that actually you do need. I mean, if we all turned up to church with no clothes on and said, Jesus said we don't see, it'd be a bit strange, wouldn't it? I don't think Jesus is advocating here <clears throat> an almost reckless um, way of doing life. I think he's challenging his readers to reorder their priorities in life. Orient yourself around this pole, this place, which is called the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, he uses the same word for, for seeking the kingdom, but you seek the kingdom of God, which is strive, that he also says about the Gentiles or the pagans, says they strive after all of these kind of things. They want to look good. They want to eat well. And I think in that culture as well, eating well was a sign of being rich. So it's quite desirable uh, to have good clothes and to be able to eat well. If you look at the story of the communion in Corinthians and where Paul's chastising the church for the way that people are dying, it's because people were, were lunging to get first first refusal on, on what was being offered in the love feast because that meant you was a person of honour if you got there first so they were neglecting the poor so there was something in that culture about eating and eating good things that said something about your status it was almost like a bit of a power thing really and so Jesus says uh-uh don't be chasing after those kinds of things don't be doing that and he says, but you seek first or strive, seek the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Because I've always struggled with this. It's a bit of a woolly concept, isn't it? You know, uh, evangelical charismatics, we've got the four points of the gospel nailed. We've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our pocket, but we never quite know what the kingdom of God is. And that's the thing Jesus spoke about most. Let me just add, seek first the kingdom. Let's just put the and in there. And also his righteousness. To seek the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the place where God uniquely rules and reigns. And within that kingdom, there is a righteousness. It's a code. There, there are sort of requirements within this kingdom. It's not just a free-for-all. There are some kind of boundaries within that kingdom that we have to consider too. So if we're seeking the kingdom of God, we need to seek and find the place where God is actually ruling and reigning and where his righteousness, his way, is being exalted. Let me take another little drink. So seek to find the place where God rules and reigns, and where his nature and his way is exalted. 
Now, I'm sure you'll agree with me. The sole place, I think, where you get the manifestation of this kingdom is in the person of Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, to be one who seeks the kingdom of God is to be one who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the one that God himself has set up as Lord and Saviour. Through his resurrection from the dead, Peter says, God has proclaimed him both Lord and Saviour or Messiah. Jesus is the unique place where the kingdom of God and our lives meet. That is the place. So, in a way, the entry point to the kingdom is in relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the place uniquely where God's rule and reign is kept and continues. I love if we dug a bit into the book of Hebrews and did a study on that, where we've got this idea of Jesus being this high priest And there's a quote from Psalms about your throne is forever and ever and ever. The kingdom of God continues in Christ because he is risen. And he lives forever. And he is the unique place where the kingdom of God is manifest and shared and given to us. But it's... Not just all the powerful stuff. We were singing, some of these songs we sung this morning were almost the songs when I first got saved at the age of 17. I've had a very strange journey, but right at the age of 17. And do you know when you first get saved, you don't really think about necessarily all these requirements. You just sing songs and think, wow, this is fantastic. But there comes a point, doesn't there, where those feelings, it's not like they go away, they just change. And then you ask yourself, what do I do now? What next? See, a lot of people, they, they, they fall off the, the wagon as such when the feeling goes, because they're just brought to have an experience with God without any real substantial foundation there. There's a lot of very fast-growing churches, but what you find the trend is, is that after a period people just start to go and find either smaller churches or go off on their own because they can't work out what what does it mean to be a disciple when I haven't got any of these feelings anymore. I've got a friend who who goes to, who <clears throat> related to me that he had a friend that went to quite a high flying church. He said, but the trouble was when I reached about the age of 50 and above, I, I don't know when it will happen to me and you get your, you get your aches and your pains and all of these things setting in. So none of the theology that I was taught worked. What was I supposed to do other than feel terrible about myself? But this, what was going on, you know? Jesus is not only the Lord and the Saviour, but he's also our teacher or our prophet. And so to seek the kingdom of God means relationship with Christ, but it also means following his way. So the Sermon on the Mount, which this little piece comes from, 
is really is, is Christ's rule for the kingdom of God. And so, to seek first the kingdom is to seek to implement the teaching and way of Jesus Christ into your life. Now, let me just say this very, very clearly. A lot of Christians I know who have the experiences have not got a clue what it means to follow Jesus. Have you ever met those dangerous people? They're prayers, they're powerful, but oh my goodness, if they're offended, the Holy Spirit sanctions them to go and sabotage other people. They can do it. The Holy Spirit told me, I'm a prophet, I've got to expose sin in the church. No forgiveness, nothing. Love your enemies, forget that. I'm going to sabotage the minister. But I'll turn up on a Sunday and lift my hands and pray out loud. Sorry, I'm not having <laughs> But I think you understand sometimes it's almost like the experiences, they're like a drug for some people and they lose all common sense about the fact that Jesus did say, hey guys, if you're going to seek the kingdom, there is a way to this kingdom and I want you to follow this way. I don't want you to just be high and mighty and proud and say I've had some wonderful experience. You know, sometimes the most rotten sinners that get miraculously saved end up being the most rotten Pharisees in the church. They just become rotten. (laughs) I, I can't understand it. Probably because we forget who we really are and who God really is in Jesus for us. So let me just define the opposite of seeking the kingdom of God as I see it today. If you see somebody else, perhaps it's in a church setting, might even be in a work setting, receiving praise for something they've done, And what happens in you is that you think, I don't like that because I want that for myself and you're jealous. You're self-seeking. You're not seeking the kingdom of God. That's one one manifestation of the the opposite. Self-seeking is is the antithesis of being in the kingdom of God, isn't it? Now, when Jesus uses the example of food and clothing, then we've established it was kind of a, an honour thing. So if I was dressed up well, it meant that I had a status and I had power. And, and Jesus kind of says, don't go after that. And the food thing as well, there was something there about in an honour and shame culture, eating well meant you had a good position and stuff like that. But if we really try to translate that in today, I think in churches especially... <clears throat> Power play is a big thing for me. Now, last time I preached here, I think I talked quite a lot about power play in churches. But I think Jesus, I'm I'm increasingly convinced that the ways of Jesus are always to defeat self-seeking in us. If we talk of sin, sin is like 
an obsession with yourself to the detriment of everybody else. So it can manifest itself. You can get jealous of other people. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, I don't care whether you feel right or wrong in this, but you might have a problem with somebody who's a leader in this church, perhaps. But your job is not to sabotage that individual. Your job is to pray for them. Your job, actually, is to humble yourself before God. That's your job. I heard a great saying from Tony Campolo. You've heard the phrase, haven't you? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. And Tony Campolo goes, no, no, no. Love the sinner and hate your own sin. You see, we often default, don't we, into power play in churches. I don't like him. He's not right with God. I've heard that a lot. Oh, gosh. I know somebody, somebody in my home church who, to, who seems to know who's saved and who's not saved, and it makes me quiver. I mean, how can you really know that? And did Jesus really call us to walk round with our sort of, you know, auditing boards for the kingdom of God? It sounds very much like what the Pharisees did. But when we start talking like that, I have to say, you are putting yourself on the throne and you are not seeking the kingdom of God. Do you know, somebody somebody said something to me once and my blood boiled. I thought, how dare you accuse people in this church of not having a heart for God when you don't know them. You just look at them. If you've come this morning, honestly, and you've got a real problem in your heart and it's hard for you to hold your hands up, God loves you. It's true. He calls you to himself. Life is life sometimes. We don't stand in judgment over each other. What's the point? That's not the kingdom of God. Self-seeking when somebody offends you. And let's just be frank, in in churches, you will offend each other. You'll do things that press buttons in other people without even realising it sometimes. Now, the thing about Jesus and the thing about God's way, it's always the opposite. So if you're offended, and what you do is for the whole week, you chew over how you're going to balance the books and get revenge or name and shame or whatever, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. And you are on slippy ground. I know people that I talk to, oh, and they're always whining. Oh, nobody uses me in the church. I think it's because you're bitter. And when a phrase like that comes out of somebody's mouth, it means, I want a platform. That's what that means. I want power. And you'll notice when people say that, they're not averse to criticising the ones who are in the pulpits because they're not seeking the kingdom of God. Now, why do I go down this route? Well, I'm going down this route because, to be honest with you, you will die if you are a self-seeker. You really will die. And I am being honest about that. Bitterness will kill you. You won't, like, fall on the floor and die right this minute, but it will kill you. 
Jealousy will kill you. The biggest one and the hardest one, unforgiveness, will kill you. Holding on to offence and seeking revenge will kill you. How can you pray when you're seeking to get revenge on somebody else? How will your prayers ever be heard? It's self-seeking. I tell the story in my church, once I had a massive argument with somebody. Can you believe that? I mean, I know I've got a nice smile and everything, but what it was, I got offended by something that this brother in Christ did. And I told him almost immediately, it's a lesson that I'm trying to learn is, don't speak and don't make decisions when you feel frustrated or offended. Try and get to someone who might tell you the truth just to calm you down to make the best Christ-like decision. But I was offended. And I mean, honestly, I dropped this guy off after a, after a meeting and I got home and I had steam coming out of my ears. Honestly, if if if... If his house didn't have a drive and I had to drop him at a road, I probably would have driven at him. I felt so angry about the way that he spoke to me. I was so angry. I was giving him a lift to a meeting and he abused me with the way he spoke to me. Honestly, I was livid. And the next day I got up and <clears throat> I'm not trying to display my holiness here um, because I struggle with personal times of prayer. But this day, I wanted to pray. And sometimes what helps me is to get on my knees. That sort of tends to focus my mind. And as I got on my knees, I felt the Holy Spirit speak into my ear and say, uh, pray for your enemies. And I said, I haven't got any enemies, Lord. You know, when you answer back to God, it's always a bad sign, isn't it, really? When you answer back to the Holy Spirit, I haven't got any enemies. I'm a good guy. I haven't got any enemies. And he put his finger finger on this guy. And he said, but you're angry with him? I said, yeah. He said, so really he's become your enemy now. Because you've chewed over how you're gonna, how you're gonna tell him how bad he was. How are you gonna put him right? How are you gonna make sure that the kingdom of God is established through your rebuke? You're obsessed with him. He's become, he's become the enemy facing you now. So God said, pray for him. Bless him. So I said, all right then. And I prayed. And as I prayed, it's almost as if this finger that I was pointing just turned right around. And actually, the source of the problem was me. My pride was affronted. And so, Holy Spirit was saying, I'm trying to circumcise this area of your life. <laughs> and, and sometimes, the only way that God can speak to us is when we say, okay, I'm going to follow what your voice and your way says. And I had to ring this guy up and say, I'm really sorry. That was all my fault. Um, there was something going on in his life that I didn't even realise. But when I, when I stepped back from my fiery emotions to pray, I was able to see a bigger picture. And I was really, really, really wrong. But the night before, I convinced myself I was right. Seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom seeking. What does that look like? 
<clears throat> well, I would say, be the kind of person that goes on the hunt to find where are the places in this world where God is ruling and reigning. Where is he beginning to set up his kingdom? Now we can say, well, of course, that's in the church. We would hope it's in the church. And of course, if you're bound up with any of the things I've just said, repent of those things. And God is super merciful to forgive us and restore us. But what might be some of the places in this world where God is setting up his kingdom? You might not be able to physically go there, but you can pray and you can give and you can support or you can find people who are currently working in those areas and you can encourage them. Find the place where God is ruling and reigning. Or if you don't feel the kingdom's in you, then invite Jesus to establish it inside of you and inside this church too. I'm a guitarist. And one of the things that happens to me is I'm obsessed with wanting to buy the perfect guitar. And I'm so obsessed, it takes up so much time, so much research. And then I buy one and then a new model comes out and I realise I should have bought that one instead. But I always look at that and think, actually, to, it's similar. To seek the kingdom of God is to have your whole life focused on bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Your whole life is to be focused around <clears throat> bringing glory and honour to this good, great King who has given you forgiveness and life. So, striving and seeking the kingdom of God is actually about things like prayer and reading the Bible. And if you struggle with reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, it is about things like the things that you watch, the things that you say, the relationships that you have. It's about asking the question in everything that you do, is this something that the kingdom of God is in? I always say to my asylum seekers and refugees, really every decision that you make now that you have proclaimed that you follow the Lordship of Jesus, your decisions, you have to weigh them against whether the Lordship of Jesus would be in that particular choice for you. Now, we don't all choose the best and perfect things for ourselves. The Bible's quite clear, isn't it, when John writes, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. We're not always going to get everything straight down the line correct. But I think what God looks for and what Jesus teaches is to say, make your priority this endeavour to measure everything against my heart and my will and not against what perhaps your family, your church and your culture may demand of you. Measure your life by loyalty to me. If a church is seeking first the kingdom, let it be a church that prays. But not just praise. Let it be a church where small groups or Bible studies are heavily populated, not because you've got one person just giving all the knowledge, but because together you want to discover and find and test what is that perfect will of God for us. 
I sometimes lament in my own church, but it's about engagement. But we have low numbers of people come into our small groups, but yet it is there where we pull apart the scripture and we seek to understand what does this word mean for us today and how do we live according to this word and be kingdom first people. Use the opportunities you have to be in the kingdom. It doesn't mean running away from the world. I want to get the balance right. You can take the kingdom into the world, of course. But what are the opportunities that will help you grow as a kingdom person? Be a seeker of God's kingdom today. Now, I want to encourage you as a church, actually. The, f- the first time I came here, I was kind of on my best behaviour because I'd never been before. And I'm quite naughty, but anyway. But I pushed it a bit more today. But that, the worship was fantastic for me. It was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I think you should give the, the band a round of applause, honestly, if we can call them a band, because fantastic stuff. Be a kingdom person in worship. Give your heart fully in the act of worship because you have the privilege of a band and some churches don't have that. Give your heart to that privilege. You've got people who are serving faithfully here as musicians. Perhaps some of them struggled to get out of bed this morning but they still made it to perform an act of service. Honour them by putting your heart and soul into worship. But I want to appeal to you today. I want to ask you the straight question, are you an avid seeker of the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you willing today to take yourself off the throne of your life and allow the true King of kings and Lord of lords to take his seat in your life. Please don't get me wrong here, but don't let bitterness destroy your life. Don't let the past rule your future. You get that, don't you, when people are bitter, they start to talk about the past as if it was wonderful. You don't really have much recollection of how bad sometimes the past was. But they all do that, don't they? Have you ever driven your car and constantly looked in the rearview mirror? You will crash. You will crash. Sometimes there is a need, and maybe this is for somebody in here this morning. Sometimes you just have to acknowledge the past was the past, and it's not going to rule me anymore. It doesn't need to have any power over you anymore. If you're living in unforgiveness, go to Jesus for the power to forgive. Because I don't want to condemn you and tell you to forgive. Because I've had this journey where to forgive is really hard. It's not easy. But go to the one who has got power to break the chains. Go to the one who is able to give you that additional extra you need to turn and forgive. 
if you are self-righteous this morning, if you do delight to walk around with your clipboard, please throw it away today. Because you're not God. And this church isn't your church. It's His church. Humble yourself. And the Bible promises that God will lift you up. If you feel you've been overlooked, if you feel you haven't been valued in the church, forgive the church for doing that. Because for you, that's your reality. That's what you feel. But the other side of the coin is, at points, just get a bit real. Just get real. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about me and you. But he graciously invites us in to this kingdom. He gives us that offer. My friends this morning, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't neglect the other things, but realign yourself today with the kingdom of God and with the way and teachings of Jesus Christ. Amen.